Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today are two guests, both from the Washington, D.C. area. We have with us Vin LaCovara, who is the Associate Vice President, Institutional Compliance and Ethics for George Mason University, and Corey Parker, who's the Director at Baker Tilly. Uh, first, Corey, Vin, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, my pleasure. So we're going to talk today about risk assessments. And Vin, why don't I start with you? What's the life cycle of an assessment framework look like start to finish? I mean, what's the timeline that you think is a reasonable one for the process? I think an ass assessment framework is something that doesn't take a lot of time to put together, but it should be something that is tailored to the institutional needs. I like to start with an inventory of laws and regulations. Don't reinvent the wheel. If you can get something that someone else has started, use that. The next step is beginning to fill in the inventory with responsible personnel and controls that are in place, which can later serve as an accountability and internal control matrix. You can conduct a preliminary prioritization of risk areas using that inventory and accountability matrix. And then you can move into more granular risk assessments and maybe even programmatic maturity assessments. In terms of time, I think the time to put the assessment framework in place is relatively short, maybe within a month. It's filling it out and putting in place the different steps and conducting it that can take up to about a year to really put in place. And a quick question that I was thinking about when I thought about the timeline. Once you've identified uh, a compliance area and you've gone through the assessment process, when or how long do you wait before you go back and either reassess or maybe update or refresh something within a certain area? That depends on how high, moderate, or low risk we feel the area was, and also depending on the priority for the institution, its own risk tolerance, and the goals and the strategic priorities of the leadership. One of the things I do with the preliminary prioritization of risks is sit down with senior leadership, get their input on what they feel needs more priority. The timelines are really based on the level of development and maturity of each area. The more robust they are, the less often they need to be assessed. I typically like to go back and look at an area every three years. You know, Corey, your question about, you know, high, medium, low risk, uh, it's a good one. And I think we could do an entire podcast on that. But Vin, Vin, let me follow up with you and let's just take one of them for now. What's the standard you would use for high risk or, or high likelihood of impact? Just like any aspect of an ethics and compliance program, it's subjective to the institution. What I like to do is use an established high, moderate, or low likelihood and impact matrix or assessment framework that I've gotten from somebody else or even from the internet and then start to tailor it for the institution. For example, what business are you in? We're in academia, so uh, things like technology and import export of information. The operations determine the applicable regulations, research, sales, etc. Another factor that goes into what might be a high risk is whether you're a federal contractor that potentially could be debarred or suspended if you're not complying with the applicable regs. Essentially, what could effectively shut the company down or put its 
operations into suspension. Another key area that I look at is the size and revenues of the organization. A fine and penalty for one organization could be high and very low for another. Uh, what are the potential penalties for not following the laws and how much of that is really going to hurt the bottom line? And then, of course, there's the risk tolerance of management and of the board. What is it that they feel is an acceptable level of risk? The more risk they're willing to accept, the less that particular area is going to fall into the high category. I think the biggest aspect is, is what operation can you not afford to have shut down if you have noncompliance? And what is going to be the biggest negative public impact reputationally? Well, it's always a tough uh, assessment to do, but it, it's good as you've done to lay out some of the frameworks for guiding it. Now, now, Corey, what are the most important points from your perspective to keep in mind as you focus on putting together a, an assessment framework? Yeah, and I think as you mentioned, Vin, what's really important is that it's tailored to your organization or institution. You really want to develop relationships with your stakeholders and build a program that is specific to the needs of, of that organization or institution. And so that's how you're going to be most successful. And, and also prioritizing your risks. It doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to boil the ocean and capture every risk or compliance area, but what is your organization or institution known for? How can you help protect and enhance that? What are those I'll say crown jewels that you need to be aware of to make sure that you're addressing those particular risks or compliance areas. And, and then also focusing on creating a manageable cadence of those compliance and risk discussions. So be prepared to support the process. And as that second line function, you're not the third line. You're not doing an assessment or validation or an audit. So you're there to help guide and nurture and develop those conversations around compliance activities. And you have to really start somewhere. So what Vin mentioned is, is really important. Asking a peer organization or institution, or even frankly going to internal audit or your enterprise risk management function, if you, if you have one, that's a place that can get you started with sharing tools or information, or they may have data or metrics on compliance. And, and it will take time so don't let perfection and building a robust compliance framework get in the way of progress and being able to find something that can help you start to work towards mitigating those risks or compliance areas that are most important to you. And, you know, I'd build on two points there. Don't overcomplicate the process and don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. You take bites at the apple and over time, your assessments will get more and more robust, more and more tailored, you'll learn more about your own institution. That's important. So don't look at the end perfection, look at the process and developing it over time. And with respect to your frameworks, the closer your assessment frameworks and risk categories are to enterprise risk management, internal audit, the closer your reporting will be to very holistic and consistent when you go up to the board and your senior leadership. You know, and, and one of the things that comes throughout all of what you both just said is the importance of realizing that this process is not a process for itself. The process is there to help enable the business and manage the compliance risk. And so don't let that get in the way. 
Now, now, Corey, I want to go back to something you mentioned. You touched upon internal audit and enterprise risk management. Uh, they both also assess some of the areas that the compliance department does. How do the three units differ in your mind um, in the way they approach this and how they may think about it? And how should compliance approach that? Yeah, it's really a, a second versus third line of defense discussion. And, and as I mentioned, the second line function really focusing on compliance being being a, a service to guide and facilitate the process versus providing um, or giving some sort of assurance. So internal audit is a natural partner because they're going to be looking at internal controls and providing validation. They're going to be discussing mitigations and, and specifically within some of the compliance areas. So although internal audit isn't the same as an external regulator, they're going to be valuable to give you some of that information that's going to help you understand where processes and controls may be mature, where compliance uh, may need to get involved or provide some of that support. So one of the things I always steal from Vin is there's a sports analogy. Internal audit is like a referee in this process and compliance is like the coach. Compliance is going to have a distinct role, but is really responsible for bringing together the teams, the players and the referees to make sure that everyone can be successful. And so between internal audit, enterprise risk management and compliance, coordination and collaboration is is absolutely critical. In order to ensure that everybody can be successful, it, compliance really has to make sure that they're providing insights um, and everybody can provide different perspectives and what they're successful or what helps to make them successful. Um, and it, one taking this one step further, it's really important. Don't be afraid to bring in someone like general counsel. They have also a unique role and, and unique perspective on compliance, and they may need to be leveraged to give you an appropriate outcome in a certain situation. So there may be other subject matter expertise that um, is outside of the internal audit, enterprise risk management or compliance lens that can add value in your process. And so, again, I think it's important to really mention that if we're thinking about how this process can be leveraged, a joint assessment between the three functions might absolutely be necessary at some point. They will certainly converge and will help make, make this successful. So you'll avoid duplication. If you're working together, you're gonna to leverage the strengths and skill sets of each group. And ultimately then you'll create a more sound compliance focused organization when, when you wrap this process or you continue to, to work through the different iterative steps in the process. So you mentioned there, uh, Corey, you know, some ways to make the process better. Vin, I'm curious, as you've gone through uh, this process in the past, what are one or two challenges you often see uh, and how have you overcome the issues? I think the biggest challenge is sometimes describing the difference between audit and compliance. While they both assess and they're both there to manage risk for the organization, there's a different role that the compliance function plays and there's more of a, a facilitation and a guidance. Again, it's the coach trying to teach the players to get better within the rules without actually playing the game for them. That's how you, you maintain that independence and objectivity, which is one of the biggest challenges. At what point are you starting to step into the game? And are there times where you feel like the ball has to be picked up because the, uh, the risk is so great 
that you have to drift into operations to protect the institution. That's a, that's a risk, and there's a cost-benefit analysis to that. I think part of that challenge, too, is describing the difference to a leadership structure and to a board structure who may not yet be familiar with compliance audit and your overall internal control framework. So to put the whole thing into a, a bigger context, use simple analogies to get that understanding across all lines and particularly to the folks in the trenches. Once they start to see your second line role and that you're there to move the ball forward so that they look even stronger when audit comes in, you need to be the facilitator. You need to not just tell those decentralized functions what needs to happen, but be ready to help kick off the training wheels. I think one other challenge can be explaining to leadership and the board exactly what your assessment framework is and it's designed to do. Uh, for instance, when you are conducting a preliminary assessment of risk areas, calling it a risk assessment could be a disconnect because leadership naturally might have a visceral reaction and say, but how is it that we could have risk in this area to this degree when we're doing so much? That's a trap that I've fallen into and I've since changed my rubric to explain my initial assessment is a prioritization of risk areas, things that we need to look at, areas we need to put more attention on rather than these are risks that our institution has. So there's always the big risk, the big challenge of explaining what you are. I think it can be more difficult to do that for compliance than it can for audit. Well, with a much younger history and much confusion still to this day, I, it, it is still an ongoing issue. Well, Vin, uh, Corey, thank you so much for sharing these insights with us. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletaub from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective. <laughs>